Today is Palm Sunday, the day in the Christian cal calendar which marks that point in the gospel stories when Jesus and his followers came into the city of Jerusalem. And they came in in a dramatic way. It was kind of like street theater. People waving palm branches and saying Hosanna in the highest and laying the palms down in the road as a sign of their reverence for this humble prophet. I don't think you'll be heartbroken or shocked by this, but I feel obliged to tell you that it's likely that this scene never happened, or at least it didn't happen how it's described in the Gospels. When I took a course on the Gospel of Mark, which is the earliest of those four Gospels and which was a spoken story for generations probably before somebody wrote it down, our teacher would begin each class by saying, repeat after me, Mark is not accurate history. It is a good story proclaiming the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. And what is the good news, I wonder, of this week in the Christian story when we remember that Jesus was accused betrayed, mocked, tortured, and finally killed. And what does it have to say to us about this world that we are living in, where way too often, one time would be too often, but it's become something that we are now accustomed to, where people go out and buy weapons, and they go into schools and they kill children and teachers. What does this story, if anything, have to say about that? That's what I want to explore with you this morning. One of the problems with the Bible is that many people tend to take it literally and out of context. Bible scholar John Dominic Crossan says we get it all wrong. My point, he says, is not that those ancient people told literal stories and we are now smart enough to take them symbolically? No, he says, my point is that they told them symbolically and we are now dumb enough to take them literally. The invitation is to look at the Jesus story symbolically and wonder what it might have to teach us and tell us for the living of these days. This prophet and teacher who our forebears here thought enough of to put this beautiful image of him up here, right front and center. He was a teacher and a healer who spent his life caring for the common people and questioning authority. His power and allure came from knowing that he was God's beloved. People were attracted to his liberated way of living. And that's why they followed him. That's why they told these stories about him that persist to this day. How might our lives be different, I wonder, if we moved through our days assured 
that we are loved just as we are. Trusting, as one song puts it, the power of the universe knows my name. What if we believed that? And isn't that what Jesus came to teach and why his message is still relevant and still needed? Because we still need to learn this way, that we are God or the Spirit or the universe's beloved. 2,000 years later, we're still trying to learn this simple truth, this theology of nobody left behind. And you know the church hasn't helped by turning Jesus' open-hearted message into a theology that too often sounds like you're either in or you're out. You're either right or you're not with us. You believe the right thing rather than being about being in right relationship. The church made this simple man into a king and into God, though it's pretty certain that Jesus never saw himself that way. He was someone trying to lead a good life, trying to empower others to do the same. And like other courageous prophets, he spoke truth to power. He threatened the status quo, and they killed him for it. So what message do we take from his suffering and death? Is it to keep your head down and stay out of trouble? Is it to go along and get along? Or is it to be at the other end of the spectrum, to be a reckless seeker of trouble, like you have a death wish? Or maybe it's more complex and subtle than these polarities. Listen to these familiar words that Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know Jesus wasn't the only persecuted prophet. Wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. a contemporary prophet and a Christ-like figure? A person called to lead because the times needed someone like him. Someone who rose to the challenge of the moment, who inspired and encouraged common people to believe that their lives could be different, who challenged the status quo and spoke truth to power. Someone who called out the brokenness and the injustice and the violence in our culture and caused, called us to change. And who was killed because of it? I often wonder why Jesus went to Jerusalem with his disciples. Jerusalem, the seat of power, what Jesus called the city that kills its prophets. 
when he had this good and productive and probably gratifying ministry out in the countryside with the common people? Why did he head to the seat of power? Why did he head toward trouble? And why did Dr. King go to Memphis and other places in the South where he knew that he was hated and that people were out to get him? I expect they each would say, I had to go. They needed me. Reflecting on this kind of faithful journey, Jan Richardson writes about this time that we are living in and this season of the liturgical year. It can be challenging enough to walk within, it can be challenging enough to walk with intention into a future that is unknown. But to move with purpose towards a destination that is known and fearsome, that is quite a different path. One that requires grace and courage we cannot conjure on our own. She continues, such a path offers a curious freedom too because it invites us to enter our future not as victims, helpless before our fate, but with intention and discernment, knowing that the path we choose, any path we choose, will hold its occasions of dying and rising. When we can meet those occasions with courage and grace, the perils of the chosen path begin to lose their power over us. Isn't this what is needed in these days? Courage and grace. The courage to travel the way that lies before us with its light and its shadow. The grace to extend our love and care not just to our friends, but even to those we think of as enemies. The grace to extend that love within to our own selves as well, so we don't judge ourselves more harshly than we do our companions. It would be so easy these days to fall into despair at the state of our culture with its tendency toward anxiety and polarization, to give up when there's a tragedy or disaster or one more mass shooting like happened this week in Nashville. Yes, we do need to grieve and feel the pain and the heartache of all the suffering. And yes, we do need to do what we can right where we are to help make things better. Courageous and good-hearted people are so needed these days in families, in workplaces, in community groups, in government, everywhere. And this is nothing new. Way back or in the early part of the Hebrew scriptures, God says to the people, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Rebecca Parker, in that beautiful reading that Joanna shared so beautifully, she reminds us that we have this power and this choice to bless or to curse. Choose to bless the world, she writes. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward in the world with the intention to do good. 
It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable grace, beauty, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting, that which is sacred will not be defiled. Jesus went to Jerusalem. Martin went to Memphis. They headed toward trouble rather than running from it because they knew they were part of a larger story, a revolutionary love, a holy disturbance, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. My spiritual companions, this is what we do. We travel our journeys carrying on with grace and with courage as much as we have. When the pandemic shut everything down, you doubled your efforts here at feeding the hungry. When another school community is devastated by a shooting, our choir sings about peace like welcome rain falling freely down to heal this dry, parched land. When we feel isolated and discouraged, we gather in circles to listen to and to tell our stories. And we gather as a community like we are right now to see one another, to sense the holy moving in our midst, to lift our voices in thanks and in praise. This is the spirit of the journey that Jesus and his friends made to Jerusalem. It's the spirit that Martin Luther King Jr. and his many companions made as they moved toward civil rights. It is the spirit of the journey we are on, this journey of liberation, this journey toward liberation. It's a journey of hope that even in times of despair, we can hold on and we can carry on with courage and with grace. This is what faithful people do and have done down through the ages to help bend the arc of our world toward goodness and toward justice, to trust that even as we pass through the shadows, that we will remember and hold fast to the, to the invitation that in a Good Friday world, we are Easter people, now and forever. Amen.